I want everyone to connect to their erotic power. I want them to understand their eroticism. I want them to understand their sexual power and not not have someone tell them what that is. And I think that's where the disconnection happens a lot. And what I've also noticed is we have so much creativity. And imagine if we can channel that creativity into our sexuality. We would all be having such great, playful, fun sex, however we see it. It would just be... It would just be an act of our own imagination, not someone else's, not a director who's telling who's telling someone what to do. We would be our own directors. We would be our own producers. Hello, welcome. Uh, today's conversation I've been excited about. <laughs> you know, I get to listen to these things and I get to hear a lot of what I say over and over again. And I notice that I keep saying, sh- showing gratitude for the participant and their, quote, spirit of adventure. And I say that a lot in this one. Uh, I, I, I've been interested in sex and sexuality for years now, not only as a human being, but as a professional, I started working in adolescent inpatient, uh, in an adolescent inpatient facility. And very quickly as kind of the, uh, the, the newbie on the field, I was running these kind of life skills classes. And I just asked kids questions about kind of basic information and I, I, I gave them permission then to fill out five by seven cards with any question they wanted to ask me. And they could write with their non-dominant hand. They could mask the writing. I just let them know I wasn't trying to, to find out who they are. I just wanted to get an idea of what they knew. And when you give somebody a non, an, an anonymous landscape like that they tend to be more honest and they were and I was shocked at the amount of ignorance this is not their fault by the way um, at the amount of ignorance to just basic biology I mean we're talking uh, basic uh, yeah basic biology I was stunned so I started to do it regularly and I would always ask uh, say to them just fill it out any question you want. And if I don't know the answer, and I'm not going to know the answer to all these questions, but I'm going to do my best to find out. And so I'd go home and do research for the next two days, and I'd come back, and I would just say things out to the crowd, because they all needed to be educated. And I've continued to do that in different settings. That started over a decade ago. Continuing it has been important. So now I I speak to kids. I speak to parents. I, I speak to people in my my um, my office, my therapeutic office, and where they're able to do something very similar, which is have a private conversation that's confidential about the reality of what's going on in their lives. And I continue to be 
enormously compassionate. And whether it's with a couple or with an individual, I think so much of at the root of what we're dealing with is shame and anxiety, which breeds the kind of ignorance or fears. And those, while we, we all will end up feeling that, of course, because we're kind of in that cultural experience of of shame and repression on the one hand and then enormous compensatory exposure on the other. Everywhere we look, there's there's something sexual. Well, because it's a universal primary drive that is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. Connection. Union. And something profound happens when, when people educate and are more aware of potentials um, that they've not been aware of before. So somewhere things have been, uh, <laughs> somewhere something, something kind of went off chart a little bit. Something went off in a, in a direction that is not in harmony with our nature because connecting and belonging is in our nature. And one of the ways we do that is through um, sex and through the expression of our sexuality. So the conversation today could have gone in a lot of directions, and it will. I, I, I plan on talking to this participant again. But for now, I want to note that this podcast has given me an opportunity to kind of take note of things in, you know, in the lives of, I see a, you know, a number of people every week, and so I get these stories every week, and I have my own personal experience, and um, I think the more that we can maybe out loud have these conversations, the more we can help get to the root of what's happening, which is a lot of this shame and anxiety, because it's the shame and anxiety that motivates parents to get extremely uncomfortable talking to their children. Every bit of research that we have suggests that when parents <clears throat> speak openly and honestly with boundaries, right, developmentally appropriately address the needs that uh, children ha have to have met, the kids delay sexual experience longer. They, they have a healthier relationship with their sexuality they are able to talk about what's going on in their lives, and they go to the people that, that taught them by experience that that is possible. They go to their parents, if that's the person. If not, they go to places that, that tend not to have the information that the kids need. So the parents, on the other side of that, can do enormous damage by, by teaching kids from the perspective of the parents' own limited and shame-based experience, we just perpetuate that cycle. Um, but if the parent can can recognize that, hey, wait a second, I don't have to have this uh, belief, or I I do because my parents had you know shame and anxiety, or my caregivers had shame and anxiety. So that's that's kind of the start of this this kind of portion of the of the podcast is to be a little more aware of these powers that um, show up in, that inevitably show up in our lives and and can be very um, can be very opening or can be very closing so a couple of things to note 
Today's participant is Christina Antonian, and you can reach her at confidentlovers.com. Yeah, that's C-O-N-F-I-D-E-N-T-L-O-V-E-R-S.com. And she's got a, she'll respond to your email and your question. She's got a comprehensive website with tons of information, and she did to me. I emailed her and said, hey, I'm wanting to do this podcast, and I need somebody who has some experience in a different um, landscape than I do. And I'm really grateful that she arranged the time, and we're going to do it again because uh, I have a feeling this is going to be um, this this conversation's provide this conversation has the potential to provide a lot of um, discovery, I think for for people because because we all know we're all in that culture. I want to read her bio and then uh, give a couple other bits of information, and then we'll get started. As part of her quest for magical experiences, Christina is continually researching the teachings and practices of sacred sexuality. For more than 10 years, she's been exploring sexual health, sexual pleasure, and the art of lovemaking. She created ConfidentLovers.com for the evolved minds who no longer benefit from living in a world of taboos. Instead, they crave depth, pleasure, and connection. She's a student of experiences. Curiosity is her driving force, and impermanence is her motivation. The music, the theme song, is from Modern Nations. You can get them at ModernNationsMusic.com. And today the music that I'm bringing in that you heard a little bit of from earlier is The Burning Hotels, their song Hey. And they are on Facebook at uh, The Burning Hotels. They've got tons of videos, tons of uh, music out there. Um, I knew these guys when they were young. We were... We were touring around in music, and they were 15 years old. And one of the first visions I, I recall is um, being at the Driscoll Hotel in Austin for South by Southwest, and Chance and Matt were hanging around, and they continued to do so. And then they turned into this powerhouse band that <laughs> that's produced some of the best music. So it's uh, I, I like being able to listen to their catalog and. Choose a song, and it's full of good memories. Something important to add is that this conversation coming up is is a pretty wide net, and we're talking from a, a heterosexual perspective, but my interest is looking at the ways of expressing all kinds of different sexualities. And so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to start expanding that net a little bit, and part of the conversation uh, in two weeks is about how a man, a gay man, comes to learn how to express his sexuality. And that's it's one part of our conversation in two weeks, but it's an important part, and it helps add to the conversation that uh, you're about to hear today. The other necessary thing to note is that this conversation today is on Skype. So there are a couple little hitches throughout, but um, but that's just the... <laughs> it's just how it goes. Our participant, when uh, Christina, when when we spoke, she was in Bali, and so the reception wasn't fantastic. But um, I'll I'll try to get get folks in person when I can. But we'll make do with what we can when uh, when we're so far away. Look at the website, thesacredspeaks.com. What I've started to do is uh, I not only have 
all the resources of the participants, but I also have the music online. You can see the videos. You can see these various bands that I'm bringing on. Um, the Sacred Speaks is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and uh, just go on there and like it and share it. Okay. I think I'll leave it there. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for arranging the time because um, we've never met in person and you have just indulged my, my spontaneity by, by fielding a curious um, desire to have this conversation from afar. And, uh, and that speaks, I think, to your, your spirit of adventure and it is, uh, it is much appreciated on, on my end. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, love, I love recording this. Well, it's fun because, um, you know, when I think I have taught um, sex education from a different, uh, you know, different but related lens, of course, uh, uh, to the to the approach that you have. Mine has been to, to kids, to, to kids in their developmental stages of, you know, about middle school and high school and also, of course, to parents. Mm-hmm. And as a as a psychotherapist, it, it's uh, I, f- I found it very important to talk to people, whether it's uh, I mean, especially adults, but. Um, about the messages they received about sex and sexuality, and and some of my um, favorite and also uh, heartbreaking stories on the subject are, are, are the, the moments when they they tell me how their parents taught you know quote taught them about sex and the way in which the parents taught yes. them tells us a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, actually, mine as well. So I can definitely relate to that. Um, I, I, as I told you earlier, that I'm I'm currently in Bali, and I was just having a conversation with uh, a gentleman I just met, and we started talking about sexuality and all the programming that we receive from our our parents about sex, and it's it's very rarely rooted in pleasure and beauty or anything. They don't even use language like that to describe right, the act of right. sex, and right. and. Uh, and and he said that I have such a hard time sometimes ejaculating when I'm having sex. I just, I can't come. And I said, why? And he said, because I just keep hearing my mother telling me, don't get a girl pregnant. Don't get a girl pregnant. And he says, I just have such a hard time letting go, even, even if I'm wearing a condom. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I've also heard that men have difficulties also ejaculating ejaculating just the first few times because their body is just trying to get used to the new experience. But he says his was ongoing. So I can definitely relate to those stories, including my own personal story. When my mother just kept telling me, if you keep masturbating, you're going to go blind. And now I just love joking with her and telling her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now, now I just joke with her and just tell her, I'm like, mom, I'm my ripe age of 35 and I'm still not wearing glasses. (laughs) and I'm still self-pleasuring. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing I love about um, the opportunity to talk to you is that, I, you know, doing, in, in, you know, your kind of therapeutic approach to sex and sexuality, the way in which you um, have become a keeper of stories, and something about doing what you do, I'm sure, allows for people to feel very safe in talking about and and sharing their story with you that, you know, if the stories tend to be based around fear and shame, you know, these are stories that people don't get to tell very much. 
And to, to, yes, to tell them don't. to a person who is able to hear them and is able to make space for them, I'm sure it's just incredibly enlightening uh, for you to know how much uh, of the reality, um, uh, uh, how much of reality about sexuality versus kind of what, we, what we're programmed, to use your word, you know, those programmings around fear and shame. Unfortunately, there's just a lot of that. And, and yeah, it, he actually also pointed out and I see he's like, I can't believe I met you already talking about about sex, but it's not like an explicit conversation, right? He's opening up and he's just telling me things that he doesn't usually tell people. And for me, it's just so normal that I don't see I don't see anything abnormal about it. I just listen. There's no judgment on my part. There's other than just I'm simply just curious about hearing people's stories because we all have stories to tell when it comes to sexuality and how we were programmed and how we're, we were brought up and how we see sex because it, it shows up in so many different parts of our lives. Well, you, you couldn't have set up our, uh, our first stage of our conversation better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, as I get into this, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, an investigator of stories as a psychotherapist, and I think that anybody that I go to speak with, I'm really curious about how you got to where you are. And so if we could begin that, mm -hmm. and would you, would you enlighten us with your, um, with your story and how you came to, to run this wonderful website, confidentlovers.com? Yeah, yes, yes, I can definitely do that. Um, in 2013, I was traveling through Thailand and I was uh, meeting with a friend who was having, he and I just went for drinks around 10 p.m. And during our conversation, he told us that he just had his second child. As I was saying congratulations, I was also wondering why is he having a drink with me at 10 p.m. and why is he not at home enjoying his newborn and his family? And after a few more drinks, he went on to tell me that he's no longer attracted to his wife and goes to prostitutes on a weekly basis. So without judging him, I just asked him, why are you, why not just have a sit down with your wife and figure out what's going on between you guys? And why not just ask the question to yourself? Why am I no longer attracted to my wife? What changed? And he couldn't really answer any of the questions. He, I don't, and I don't think he gave it much thought himself. He was just happy doing what he was doing. And I realized towards the end of our conversation that there's, this is probably one person who really shouldn't have gotten married because I just don't think that he was ready for a family life. Nor can he commit to a family life. And he admitted that. He said, I just wish I had never done this. And I said, okay. Um, and as we were wrapping up and just to kind of make things fun, I asked him a question and I asked him what the, what the difference was between sex and making love. And he gave me the funniest answer. <laughs> and he said, I wish you had asked me what the difference was between sales and marketing because of that I can answer. And I just had such a good laugh. But also <laughs> afterwards, I started I really just started asking a lot of questions after that conversation. From from that conversation, a light bulb just went on in my head. And I started asking questions like, how do we learn about sex? Who teaches us about sex? Who teaches us about values? Sex, you know, our parents really ingrain in us to be good humans. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But no one really ever teaches us how to behave well in bed. And um, the questions that I really started asking were also from my frustration because for some reason I was only focused on men at that time. So I wanted to see what was the disconnect that I was experiencing in my early, early teenage to early 20s where I couldn't have an orgasm while I was having sex with men. I had no problem having an orgasm while I was masturbating. 
So my first thought was there is something wrong with me, but there really wasn't because I was able to to give myself pleasure. I just wasn't able to have an orgasm and have the same amount of pleasure while I was having sex. So as I started doing some online and offline research, I realized that there's really only two major resources for men to learn about sex, and that's porn and the pickup artist community. And porn doesn't really teach us anything about sex. Porn is all about camera angles. Porn is all about performance. It's not about connection. It's not about touch. Very rarely in porn did I ever see two people kissing. And that's what I also grew up on, too. So it created a lot of bad habits for me. And I said, there has to be a better way to learn about sex. And I decided that I'm incredibly comfortable about talking to, to talking about sex. So I'm just going to create a website to really give men a female point of view of sexuality and about our bodies. Because I also realized that there's so many women, myself included, at an, at an earlier age, in my early 20s, I had no idea about my body. I had no idea how to ask for pleasure. I, had, I, I was pretty much clueless until an older man came into my life and taught me pretty much everything, a lot of things. Not everything I know, but many things. And I, I just realized that there's really no good guidance and resources out there. And men can't teach men about the female sexual anatomy. So it has to come from a woman. And that's when I did to start um, Confident Lover. First, it was Confident Lover, and it was just aimed towards men. Then it became Confident Lovers because I decided, why am I speaking to 50% of the population when um, when I have conversations with women and we talk in detail and I realize that they're, that how much women don't know about their own bodies. Mm -hmm. So we're always in a conversation where I'm explaining certain things that I felt that that happened during sex or before sex or, or during our periods. And we have very open and honest and very detailed conversations about it. But I said, wow, there's so much that women don't even know about their own bodies, nor do they know how to ask for pleasure. So I really need to start speaking to women as well because I'm incredibly comfortable. And I finally um, have come to uh, a direction where I can put what I'm feeling into words. And, I, and throughout my work, I realized that it's incredibly hard for people to do that. We know what we're we kind of know that something is not working right in our body but it's very difficult for us to articulate it. And that's kind of how the website got started. It was really just blogging my ideas and, and creating a video course for men, breaking it down into eight sections to teach, to really like just give them the nuances of how the female body works. Because I, I've also been in many conversations where men just say, but it takes so long to, to get aroused. And I said, yeah, but you kind of have to understand what our body is made of. So you can't look at, you can't look at foreplay or arousing us as a job once you understand how our body functions. Would now, you... of course, there's exceptions to every rule. Not every w woman takes so long. Sorry, you were saying what I well, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to <laughs> move into that um, just just because I think it's so important for people to understand that I, I'm, I'm listening on a couple of levels on one of them you know, kind of honoring this, you know, this uh, course for um, for our conversation. But also I immediately am really tuned in to the fact that here we are having this conversation. I'm imagining somebody listening who has really never had the opportunity to explore some of these 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 facts of uh, female anatomy, mm -hmm. for example. And the, the, the mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the I think that in general, the, the masculine's projection that 
the, the, the female anatomy functions in the same way that he does, of course, differently, but the same The male speed, anatomy does. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. The, 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 they kind mm -hmm, of, men tend mm -hmm. to project that. And then when, you know, yes. when, when, they, <laughs> when they realize it's not behaving in the same way, that then men tend to blame or, or shame, blame the, their partner and shame mm -hmm. themselves. So I want to plant a seed for us to return to yes. this because I am, I am interested in kind of continuing mm -hmm. that thread on kind of your your history as much as you're willing to share. Um, you know the uh, about pornography. Of course, on that that subject, I see a lot of young people in my office that um, that are exploring pornography, and I have these open discussions with them, and it's so easily accessible. And I'm wondering if you could say a, a few words about how. Uh, pornography has influenced you and how you how you relate to that um it's actually influenced me in in a few ways um a lot of it has just been creating bad habits and what i mean by bad habits is because there's because porn is is very performance based and i realized afterwards that performance anxiety should never be used in the same sentence when we're talking about sexuality because when two people come together, we're not here to put on a performance for each other. We're here to give and receive pleasure. We're here to make love. We're here to have sex, whatever it is that we want to call it. So the way that it's influenced me was um, really some of the things that we see in porn is, is as a woman, it's, it, it's not too empowering for us. <laughs> and doing things that we're not comfortable doing. Um, faking orgasms, moaning when I don't feel like moaning. There was just so many things that I realized afterwards. But the worst part was when I realized um, that my orgasm became dependent on porn. And what I mean by that is, is when I was watching porn, obviously, there's there's this stimulation that happens in the brain that causes um, us to masturbate and have orgasm. But what happened was because the moving pictures are so graphic, they, they, for many of us, and, and I've had this conversation so many times with men and women, is that, that those powerful images stay in our brain. So when I was having sex with my lover, in order for me to get orgasm, I was replaying a scene from porn. So it literally made my orgasm dependent on it, and it killed my imagination. How can I imagine anything when all the images are already given to me? And that's what porn, porn did for me. So I decided, and it took me 10 years to figure this out when I consciously had to think about it. I was so unconscious about the behavior patterns that I created around porn. And another thing that it did for me was I realized that that when I was a child and I was masturbating, I was always using my right hand. And for the life of me, I could not figure out when I started masturbating with my left hand. And, and finally, just one day dawned on me. I'm like, of course. I scroll with the right hand because I have my laptop in front of me <laughs> and I started masturbating with my left hand, but it happened so naturally that I didn't realize that it had changed until one day I figured it out. But it's really just being conscious of those things, right? <laughs> and all these unconscious be behavior patterns that we create and they're like, we wake up one day and we do, we're like, wow, what, what happened to our body? Why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing it this way? I've never been doing it this way. And, um, and I realized that yeah, I was from just talking to men in general that porn addiction is, is a thing. It's just hard to classify what constitutes as an addiction. You know, is, is it somebody watching porn three times a day or six times a day that causes an addiction? I, I don't know. I think it's it would be hard to verify that. But there's so many people 
or men in general that I speak to where they say I, I was once addicted to porn. And I said, what do you, so how, how would you describe an addiction? What, what would you say? Or how would you classify it as an addiction? And he said, I was just watching it too much. It was just getting in the way of, of everything that I was doing. He said, I would, you know, they say I daily, I would spend at least anywhere between one to three hours. And I said, wow, that's, that's a long time. Yes. So it's not, let, yeah. let's, let's get some layers here going. Cause I think that what I hear you saying there is that, um, Part of the issue with pornography is the false imagery. It plants, yes. it plants false imagery in the mind, and so somebody has to be, becomes in some way dependent on that imagery and has to overlay their experience with that imagery in order to elicit the same response that they get when they're in those private moments with pornography. Exactly. Very well said. But plus, there is also there is. I will never forget this conversation. I was in Los Angeles and I was on a college campus and I asked, uh, I think he was 20 or 90, he was 20 or 21. And I asked him, I said, what, um, what, what would you, uh, what would make you not want to have sex with a girl? And he, if I can't come on her face, I'm not interested. He'd even blink. He didn't even stop. He just, it just came out. I said, wow. I said, you watch, I said, you watch a lot of porn, don't you? <laughs> and he said, yes. He's like, he's, and he said, I love porn. And I said, okay, but that's kind of a false imagery that it's up, right? Because it has so many expectations that are not true. Right. And there's nothing wrong for a person to say, no, I'm not into that. Or no, I don't like those type of facials. Yes, as I said before, you are the holder of many stories <laughs> that a lot of people probably don't get, don't get exposed <laughs> to. So yeah, and the, there, I guess, then, then what happens is the, the, the expectation of what the imagery um, the, what the imagery presents becomes an expectation, and then one is let down when their partner won't participate in that um, in that experience. Yes, exactly, because they really want to have that experience, and and just because their partner is not into it, then then it becomes a problem. Um, and other times, I've I've also noticed in my female workshops because I, I also give workshops. Sometimes it's just for women, sometimes it's just for men, sometimes it's it's for couples. But I, what I realized in my female workshops is how many women now don't like the act of, of oral, giving oral pleasure, blowjobs. Mm. And when I asked why, they said, well, because of what we see in porn, it's so disempowering for a woman. I feel like I'm powerless when I do that. And it's really just a way that I guess porn has portrayed that. So I, maybe in some ways it's doing, doing a good service for men and in other ways it's just doing a really it's just doing a disservice for women because women don't get empowered by watching porn. A lot of, a lot of women don't. I'm not saying that I haven't met women who absolutely love porn because th that definitely exists as well. But when I start asking specific questions, like, why do you love porn? What is it about porn that, that you like so much other than just the imagery, other than the turn on, what else is there? Do you feel, do you feel empowered by it? Does it give you that like sense of, 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 um, um, does it connect you to your deep sexuality? And and the answer has never been yes. At least not yet. Well, yeah, and it sounds... Uh, I'm struck by that because what it seems like is that people are parroting an experience. They're having to act out an experience they previously saw, so there's not really a connection in the moment with spontaneity and mindfulness, uh, you know, and, and connecting with your partner because you're, by definition, connecting with some previous experience that's out of the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I like exactly. what you said about imagination. Um, 
because you're not allowing that experience to flow, um, you, you are locked in that, that uh, previous memory, a, a memory sphere. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, not only that, but I always tell people as well, right? You, it, it's really, I truly believe that porn does kill our imagination and our creativity and our spontaneity mm-hmm. because it's not, there's some things when we watch that are not true to our sexual being. There's some things that we may not be comfortable doing. Or yes, we want to explore it, but we may not want to explore it that way. We may not want to explore the hard and fast way. We may want to do the same thing, but in a very much slow way. And yet we can't, we can't even think of that as a possibility because of what we've seen in porn. And, and there's a reverse side of that too, because a lot of people also watch porn to get ideas on, on, on how to do, um, to have, you know, how to have sex in new ways or new positions or, or get creative. So some people use it to enhance their creativity where others, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people do get stuck in just the imagery that porn provides and not going much further than that. Well, and based upon what we were saying earlier about the kind of messaging around sex and sexuality, there's almost this prohibition on on having the kind of open conversations that can connect one with the reality that we're sexual beings and it's uh, ubiquitous. And and because we're we're not taught that, it it becomes a form of repression. So we have to find it in the dark alleyways of you know that private experience of pornography and. It, it, it's almost mm-hmm. a, it's a it's an illusory uh, educational experience. You know, we're we're having to rely on that exactly. That's and I was just going to say that. <laughs> yes. So porn has become our default sexual education, and yeah. yet por- the porn industry themselves will always say we right. are not here to teach I've people about. We are adult entertainment. We are not sexual education. So we have to really see that as entertainment and not as education. If it gives you ideas and you want to go and play and do things with your partner, fantastic. I'm so happy for that. But I just see so many people getting stuck in, and, and, and being, becoming dependent. There, when my orgasm became, when I realized that my orgasm was dependent on porn, that's when I said, I'm done. And that was five years ago. And I haven't looked back. So do you, uh, I have not watched a single episode of porn. <laughs> <laughs> what a shift that must have been, considering that that was a that was such a conduit for that um, your sexuality for a while. But it was it was such a great shift because because I also wanted to challenge myself, so I went back to just watch to see if I would if I would start masturbating to it again. But I, you know, it's it's amazing when you stay away for some for something for so long. And I and I but for so long it was really a thirty day challenge that I gave myself. And after about 35 days, I said, okay, let me just have one, one look and, and test my willpower here. And I just noticed so many things. And I'm like, this is so fake. What used to once turn me on became a complete turnoff because it was so fake. It was just, I, you could just see little things that I never noticed before. Well, would you would you go into that because I'm, I'm now curious if somebody's listening and they're thinking about like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this habit you know, how do I stop doing that? Uh, do you have any recommendations for somebody who is struggling with that? Yes, we, it's really just making a conscious effort and a conscious choice to say that I want to stop doing this, or at least I want to, um, I don't want to watch it as much. So what I had to do for myself is I, I, I learned, um, 
through my meditation experience in India that if we want to make anything a permanent habit, we have to do it for 21 days straight. I like to do it for 30 days just to make sure <laughs> I have an entire calendar month covered. So what I did, what I did was give myself a challenge for 30 days. No porn. Yes, I would masturbate, but but I would make sure consciously every time a porn scene came into my mind, into my imagine imagination that I would just say, nope, you no longer belong here. You need to leave. I, I need to make this about me and about my imagination and about my experience. And it was challenging, of course, because I'm trying to reverse a habit that I've been dependent on for so long. Um, but meditation really helped me because when I, when I was learning about meditation, I was also learning how to observe my thoughts. And that's, that's the key that really helped me observe the type of scenes that would be coming in and out of my head. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm, I'm just going to block these. I'm not going to allow this to come into my imagination. I need to reprogram these scenes. So therefore I need to make, make my own with, with starring me in it. <laughs> and sometimes it wasn't about, it wasn't even about having my brain involved. It was simply just feeling the pleasures that I was giving myself during masturbation. Uh, right, so so rather is there an easy, easy way to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to take a lot of willpower for somebody who feels that they're addicted to it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really it's really just making a conscious choice and just saying that I'm going to challenge myself and giving yourself like a 21 or 30 day challenge of saying, nope, I'm not going to watch porn. I'm not going to think about it with the hardest part and really just observing your mind and observing your thoughts to see when you're self-pleasuring, when that happens, when you start pick, when you start thinking about porn again to just say no, I don't want to be attached to this. Just as a as a note, I always think that any kind of addic you know, addiction in quotations, it, it when when I treat addiction, it tend one of the more important um, stages of of the treatment is creating replacement mm -hmm. strategies. And so to, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, as I, as I think about your website, it's such a good opportunity for somebody to educate themselves uh, about their sexuality because oftentimes a lot of that addictive behavior is created out of a lack of understanding and a lack of a, yes. of a direction of where to put that energy because you know, the addict yes. sometimes is an amazing artist and uh, has enormous mm -hmm. amounts of energy that are taken up by that addictive habit and to channel that capacity in into healthy behavior, like, for example, in this case, exploring healthy sexuality. So reading the books, you know, um, uh, having conversations mm -hmm. with somebody who's an expert or um, I think that that can be so important. And it sounds to me like what you're what you're doing here is a part of that, providing people a, a landscape to begin to understand what healthy sexuality even is. Yes, that's exactly what I want to be done because I want everyone to connect to their erotic power. I want them to understand their eroticism. I want them to understand their sexual power and not not have someone tell them what that is. And I think that's where the disconnection happens a lot. And what I've also noticed is we have so much creativity. And imagine if we can channel that creativity into our sexuality. We would all be having such great, playful, fun sex, however we see it. It would just be it would just be an act of our own imagination, not someone else's, not a director who's telling who's telling someone what to do. We would be our own directors. We would be our own producers. 
Yeah, to to add to that, it sounds like the director is not only the director of the pornography. Sometimes the director is our our parents' limited understanding of the capacity of their own sexuality is passed on to the child or the cultures, or you know, they, they all they all become the director. Yes, unfortunately, that's the case. But what I also want people to to realize is that past the age of eighteen, we are no longer our parents' programming. So we need to take responsibility for our own actions, for our own pleasure. And the way that we do that is we have to educate ourselves. We can't, yes, I mean, trust, it's so hard for for everything that we've been programmed. I'm not saying that it's easy at all. But once we realize that I no longer want to be and accept the fact that I no longer want to be my parents' programming because, you know, of course they have their, um, I mean, parents give love in, in many different ways, and sometimes it's not the healthiest way. And they teach us things where they think is the right way to teach. But ignorance has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. I never want to teach my kids about sex, what my parents have taught me, because they've taught me nothing. So it's my pers- it's my responsibility to to educate myself and to really learn about my own sexuality because before I can even transfer that knowledge to, to the next generation. And what I really want people to understand is, is yes, don't don't blame your parents for, for you or for teaching you bad, bad habits mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. keeping you up in shame, guilt, and anxiety. That's, you know, they were pretty much doing the best because they didn't know any better. There was, the internet wasn't, wasn't there back then. So there was so much knowledge and misinformation or, or, or misguided knowledge you know, during their time that they simply just, I mean, I, I don't know anyone. I've never met any parents that, that are my parents' age who actually sat down and read sexual books or at least took the time to learn about sexuality. It's almost like, no, we're, you know, we're just, we're just happy the way things are. It's never talked about and we're never, we're never going to discuss. I classic example of how uncomfortable parents are is my dad called me two days ago and it says, you know, your voice, your voice is a little off. He, he says, you sound a little sad. I said, no, I'm not sad. I'm just on my period. I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just going through the process of being on my period. And I said, mm, did you really have to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, like, <laughs> you asked, it's you know, fact, I'm, I'm just telling you what's going on with me. It's a fact. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's still so uncomfortable with it. And yeah. so is my mom. Although my mom, it's, it's just so much fun to have conversations with her because she's so uncomfortable. But I make it so fun that we, it, it, it doesn't become embarrassing. And what I would also like to like to say, I recently gave a lecture to 17, 18 year olds is have a playful conversation with your parents and see where that goes. You you may be surprised at the way that parents react because they're so embarrassed to have that conversation <laughs> that they just don't want to. But what if what if as a child you bring it up? Then they pretty much have, I guess, no choice in some ways to, to have that conversation. Either immediately going to shut it down or it's going to become a pretty fun conversation. You never, you just never know where it's going to go. So I just say try it. <laughs> But, uh, and, and really just, yeah, just finding the right resources and edu- educational tools if you're a parent to be able to have that conversation with your children. Right. And I recently also spoke to one, with one of my friends who is, is parenting four children from ages 7 to 13. 
And she says, we talk about sex with our children all the time. Mm -hmm. And she says, what really parents need to understand, it's not a one-time conversation. This is an ongoing conversation because as adults, we're having an ongoing conversation about our sexual experiences. Whereas kids are still incredibly curious at that age. They want to know how things work. So it's not just a one-time conversation. This is a full-on ongoing conversation where we discuss everything from porn to sex toys to why mom and dad need to have their sex time. And and you guys need to be okay with that and understand why that's important for us. Because if, if, and, and it was so beautiful because they actually told their children that if mom and dad are running on a deficit, nobody in the household is going to be happy. (laughs) And I thought that was so beautiful. Imagine (laughs) if every parent sits down with their children and says that, how amazing would that be? They would have a completely different understanding of sexuality. So another question I also get asked a lot is what's the best time to have to have these conversations with your children? I say there's really no best time. It just kind of depends on when you feel your child is ready to receive that information. When I see statistics saying that the that the average age of a child who views porn is eight, then I say you need to start at seven or six or pretty early. Because as, as you said earlier in our conversation, they're just one click away. And and we, with my work, it's funny because I, I do um, I, I do keyword search searches all the time. And sometimes my keywords have nothing to do with sex. And somehow I end up on Google Images and there's like super explicit porno, porno, porn images oh, yes. of sex. Yeah. And, I, and it's so easy. And all I have to do is click on it and, and it'll just send me to the site. I know, and kids are just having these kind of unbridled access to a world of imagery that can be overwhelming. The, the, yes, but the, not only that, I mean, if you think about it as a, go ahead. No, the, the only thing I, I wanted to add to that was the, the um, a thought that I have in, in, in raising children. Um, a friend of mine used to, a mentor of mine used to say, you know, these experiences about sexuality really begin with, you know, our relationship to our body. And so when you change a -hmm. a child's diaper and if they, Mm -hmm. you know, if their poop is horrendous and here they are Mm -hmm. looking up at you and saying, Oh, this, this moment, you know, where I'm, you know, kind of connected with my parent and you're making this horrible, like, Ooh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, response Mm -hmm. to this and they're seeing you seeing their body that way and if that happens enough times it it, mm-hmm. it creates something so certainly starting in infancy r- helping the child learn their body in a way that is um is supportive and so you know not yes. you know not not cleaning the poop with a you know horrendous oh my god what just happened kind of look but uh Oh, hey, whoa, mm-hmm. you know, you look at what you did, you know, like, <laughs> like a, you know, you know where it's where it's not so disgusted um, and, and 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 it plants the seeds, of course, of, a, of I think, a healthier relationship with one's body um, that, that I, I think really begins in the parents healthy relationship with their body, which, you know, as we're going to get into a bit, so many of us, um, so many people don't have. Oh, I could not agree with you more because so imagine my mother at the age I started masturbating when I was three years old. My mom says I was one, but I really don't remember that far back. Um, and every time she ca- she caught me masturbating, she used to make me go stand in a corner and stare at a boring wall for two hours. And I'm like, 
but why? Why can't? Why? Why am I standing here? And she was so strict about it. Nope, you have to go and stand there. And I just never understood. At least if she explained to me why I was there, maybe I can have a different understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it it didn't. It really didn't affect me in any way in terms of my sexuality. But it somehow my brother, who was never punished, affected him. So he grew up with all kinds of anxieties and and confidence issues around his body. Though my parents, my parents never punished him for anything. So I think all the punishment that I got kind of rubbed off, rubbed off on him, oh. which in, in some ways it was so sad to see. <laughs> and you know what? Parents really sell us the, sh- the shame, the guilt and anxiety and the uncomfortableness that we have that we should have with our own body. And it's and it's so sad because it's that we this is a vehicle that we have for the rest of our lives. If there's one thing that's guaranteed in life, it's the fact that we have to live with our body for the rest of our life. (laughs) And how is it that so many people teach us to shame it, not to love it, not to honor it, not to cherish it. And we end up treating it like a wastebasket from the foods that we put in it, from all the other stuff that we put in it and just not take care of it. And, and most importantly, just we get so out of touch with our sexuality and our eroticism that we feel so disconnected from the rest of the world. And I truly think that it, that it comes from that. Well, so my, my for, approach for many here, people. My, my, my curiosity is looking at how universal everyday experience becomes uh, charged or imbued with an energy that's beyond what's happening that's um you know sex can 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 obviously be pretty multi-layered and that on one layer Mm -hmm. it is you know two biological beings rubbing together and in in some kind of spasming climax there's pleasure associated with that it can you know Mm -hmm. be associated with an expression of love Uh, it can be viewed as an altered state of consciousness it can be viewed as um, religious in, in, in ways it can of course be for procreation. So there's an evolutionary approach uh, well, the, the thing that I'm, that I, I'm, I'm curious about in, in your work, if we could go into some of these, um, uh, definition of terms, I'm, I'm interested in what is meant sure. by sacred sexuality and what, what your understanding of that is. Okay. Well, it's, it's undeniable that there's a great secret power in the sexual forces that reside within all of us, like you said, right? It could be a very transcending healing experience because sex is sacred because of its role in accessing peak experiences of transcendence, oneness, healing, and love. When we access these type of expanded states of consciousness through sex, we honor the body instead of trying to deny its natural sexual impulses. So when sex becomes sacred, it enables us to overcome feelings of separation and create like a sense of union. We are all hardwired for pleasure, intimacy, and connection. We have a deep longing to be seen, valued, and accepted. And sacred sex is really just sharing all the characteristics of our being, emotional, energetic, mental, spiritual, physical, it's really what gives us the deep and full experience of sex. On a, I guess on a vibration, on an energy level, I see that this type of experience has us feeling unconditional love for all things. I mean, being in a truly blissful state. 
And the practice of sacred sexuality really requires um, a few things. One is self-awareness, emotional maturity, being able to set healthy boundaries, feeling safe, trust, surrender, responsibility, communication, spontaneity, and beautiful feeling of unity. So that's sort of my understanding of the sacred sexual experience is that's really what makes sex sacred for me is, is really being aware of all of those things because I have experienced transcendent states during sex and it was so beautiful. And it's, and it lasts, that state lasts, lasts for at least a good four or five days when I'm in that state. So could I push on that a little bit? I, I want to find out more about that of because course. so you know so many people um, aren't going to have any understanding. Give, given the ubiquity of what we're talking about and how limited people's understanding mm -hmm. of this universal experience is, you know, I'm sure a number of people go, "What are you talking about? Like that? That's that's beyond my comprehension." So the the, the few questions that come up are number uh, number one, what what is that, and how does one cultivate that in their lives? Okay, um, it's really it's really more of a transcendence peak experience, which in some ways is very difficult to describe. I think a lot of people have felt that type of connection or that type of transcendence during sex, but they haven't been able to articulate it and put it into words. Oftentimes it's very difficult to do. Um, there's a wonderful book actually called Transcendent Sex, which she, the author interviews quite a few people who have been able to have that type of a sexual experience. And I think the cultivation really begins with self-awareness and connected to your body and having a certain um, emotional awareness and maturity and really understanding your, your boundaries, but healthy boundaries. So in order to cultivate the practice for me, I have to feel safe. I have to trust the partner that I'm with so I can completely surrender to the experience. I know a lot of people say that sex is mostly in the mind. I say yes, in the beginning it is. But the magic for me happens when that mind completely shuts off and I'm just, I'm, I'm just in that moment. I'm just being, I'm not thinking about anything and I'm only just feeling. That's the best way I could describe that. But you've had, because uh, I know a bit about you, you and your history, you, you've, you know, it's, if there's a meditation retreat that somebody can go on for 10 days and do a Vipassana retreat, there's a retreat for <laughs> yes. sexuality, correct? Yes, there is. So I did go to a, a, a Taoist and Tantra retreat in 2014. And there's quite a few things that, that they teach you at retreats like that, which is one, the sexuality and Taoism system, the, the theory and practice. So you get to really um, put whatever they teach, you get to practice right then and there. Some of the things that they teach is the tantric touch. Another thing that they teach is, one of my favorites is actually devoting one night where the man is giving the woman a sick what's called a sacred spot massage in other words a g-spot massage and only using his hands and they encourage you not to have sex so the man learns how to give pleasure without wanting anything in return and the woman learns how to receive pleasure without wanting to give and that was such an incredible experience because when we're having sex we're like well he did this for me now i have to do that and yes. she did this now I have to do that mm -hmm. instead of just being instead of just receiving the pleasure and that was 
for me, that was really in many ways life changing because now I'm not obligated to, I'm not saying that I don't give pleasure when I'm having sex with a partner. No, but I feel so much better about receiving pleasure without thinking what I have to do next. And, and the roles were also reversed. So there was also where women, a woman was giving pleasure to the man and the man was just in the, in the state of just receiving. Um, another thing was teaching what's called Karstai Naitsang, which is a massage that they do in, uh, in Thailand. And it's really genital reflexology. I'm sure you've heard of foot, foot reflexology, yes. where all of our organs are at the bottom of our feet. And when we go to get massa reflexology massage, they, pu they push on all the organs that are connected to the feet. Well, there's many organs that are connected on our genitals like our heart point and our spleen and our liver and our kidneys, these are all connected on our genitals. So you get to see the demonstration that they do of this massage. And if you want to book the massage, you can do that as well and have that experience. Um, there's a, there's a, there's also a yin yoga class, which is just really getting into the body. There's also um, a day or a few hours that's dedicated where they separate the groups. So the women go and we, talk about the women's issues, the self-love, and we have a solo class, just women learning how to do what's called the J-Deck exercises. There's also a male's class where the men's go and discuss any uh, sexual issues or, or anything that's related to, to sex with just men. Then there's like uh, uh, what's called changing ordinary sex and into being uh, bringing it into exquisite tantric experience. So it's teaching also men the difference between orgasm and ejaculation. This is a really good technique, which I think, or at least um, education, which I think most men are unaware of. A lot of men, when they say I orgasmed, they're referring to ejaculation. What most men don't know is that there's really a difference between orgasm and ejaculation. So a man is able to have an orgasm without ever ejaculating. And he's actually able to even have multiple orgasms. And at this retreat, I was able to witness that. a man sitting next to me, his entire body just started vibrating. And I, was, I thought he was having a seizure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he said, no, this, he said, my, he, he, he said, my chi just got activated. And it was breathing techniques that they teach the man, which is also called uh, what's called the microcosmic orbit. Uh -huh. Um, so it enlivens and rejuvenates the body's vital functions. And it's a breathing technique that we learn how to do. So there's a lot of hands-on. I really, I, I really highly recommend that if anyone is interested in learning more about this, that would be the perfect place to do it. Because we, our group was 165 people from 26 different countries. So to be in an environment like that, where nobody's judgmental. Nobody's going to judge you for your sexual expressions. It's a very safe space. We're all there to learn about sex. And that's really what I loved most about it. And additionally, I really just love the fact that there's hands-on experience and you really get to choose. It's completely your choice. If you want to have that experience, if you want to practice it with somebody who's there, assuming that you haven't gone with a, with a partner, I went by myself and I was able to practice it with three other people. Um, and it's, everything is completely up to you and nobody forces you to do anything that you're not comfortable doing. But the education, I th think, is, is really, really good. 
I guess that's the important. So I highly recommend here. everyone to explore that. Well, yeah, well, you, yeah. you've kind of you've I, I love hearing about that so people can understand kind of the, the possibilities that are beyond, you know, reading the joy of sex from, you know, 1970, whatever. And and um, and knowing mm-hmm. that there are current more, um, uh, uh, you know, advanced practices for the curious and mindful observer and participant. Mm hmm. Yes. And I think um, I, I would say the most important part of connecting to our body would be our breath. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned I've learned how to breathe properly. And when I learned that, wow, that was incredibly life changing and really just doing things that where you feel very connected to your body. So for me, that would be dancing really connects mm-hmm. me to my body. Breathing really connects me to my body. Yoga really connects me to my body. But that's, you know, those exercises are very different for everyone else. For some people, it's going to the gym. For some people, it's a, a completely different practice. I don't, meditation maybe. I'm not sure. Do you have a meditation it just, practice? It all depends. Yes, I do. I do half an hour meditation every morning where I just quietly and, and the, uh, after meditation, I do 15 minutes of breath work every morning. What kind of breath to really just this? oxygenate and uh-huh. connect? Uh, um, well, one of them is called uh, the breath of fire. Yes. Where you are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah, but where you breathe it. very yeah. quickly for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 all belly breathing, and it's and it's doing quick breaths in and out for two minutes straight. Then uh, there's another breath. I'm not. I can't remember what the what the breathing technique is, is called, but I learned this in India, where you inhale for seven breaths, you hold for seven breaths, and you exhale from the opposite nostril for seven breaths. Mm-hmm. So I do that a lot, and that really oxygenates. I can just feel my entire face and my brain, everything just oxygenating when I'm able to breathe like that. When you're, when you're doing these two practices, are you doing um, your 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 alternating nostrils? Mm-hmm. Nostrils, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in in, mm-hmm. yes. in in from less nostrils. The breath of fire. I'm not. I'm not alternating. It's incredibly powerful when you learn how to breathe from the belly. Uh-huh. It's it's so incredibly powerful. That's that's really I think also what connects us to our sexual organs as well because, and there's advanced practices of this as well. So while you're breathing, you can actually um, contract your pelvic floor muscles which I sometimes do as well. So you can literally open and close or for men it's opening and closing our, our vaginal entrance. And for men, it's just contracting the pelvic floor muscles and you can feel all of that. And somehow it's just all connected. And it just, it, when you tap in and when you really take your awareness to that part of your body and you feel things, it, it just, it's like, wow, <laughs> why, why have I been sleeping for so long? And why have I not discovered this? earlier it sounds to me like you're you know one of the things you said when we first started talking today is um is values and it it almost sounds like you're you're saying the importance of this of these sexual practices and our sexuality the fundamental aspects to having healthy sexuality are practices such as um uh, presence mindfulness safety uh you know I, I forget this list that you went through but you know i didn't i, ha- I haven't heard so many and most importantly it's really connecting to your body right right i i think the most important one from all of that from from that whole list all of the, all of what you said is is 
very important, yes. But the most important one is really just connecting to your body and giving yourself the time and the awareness to be able to do that. So I think everyone should have an individual practice, whatever it is that connects you to your body. Like I said, for me, the, the number one thing is really dance and breathing properly. Those are those would be my top two things that immediately connect me to my body. What kind of dance do you do? Uh, Arabic belly dancing, because it's all in the hips. Yeah. And that's where that's where I feel like my power and my creativity comes from. It's all from that region of my body. What a practice. But it also connects me to everything else because, yes, I'm moving my hips, but to move my hands and my shoulder mm -hmm. and my shoulders and everything else. Sorry? No, I was, I was thinking about Ken Robbins has a, um, a, t a TED Talk. Called, you cut off there for a second. Say uh, that again. Uh, Ken Robbins has a TED Talk called Why Schools Kill Creativity. And in one of the um, – at one point he says, you know, we learn mathematics – uh, and some people go on to use mathematics, but everybody's got a body and we don't really learn how to be in our body. Why don't we teach dance in school as a, as a, as a foundational oh, necessary yes, tool please. in our education? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's funny because every time I watch older movies, like 1920s, 1930s movies, it's amazing to me how people back then used to move so easily. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that men used to dance back then, I, I don't, it's very rare to meet a man that can dance that way. Mm -hmm. And they were just so comfortable and so at ease in their body. But now when I look at a person's body, it's so rigid, it's stuck. Yeah. It doesn't know how to move. And a woman's body as well. We feel so in our bodies so that when people actually, whenever there's like free flow music, <laughs> it's just people don't really know how to move. Because they feel so rigid in their in their bodies, and that's why I think dance is so important. There's there's actually every little town here in Bali. It's huge. There's something called ecstatic dance, where you just go. There's a lot of the music that they play is it has no words. It's just beautiful sounds, and you just move. You close your eyes and you move. Yeah, there is yeah. no format. We've got something over here called uh, there's a place called Nia Moves in. Um... Uh, I've been there mm -hmm. a couple of times where, you know, it's one of those things where everybody's doing free form expression. There's no yeah. obligation. You're just in mm -hmm. a room with mm -hmm. people that are, that are moving however they want to move and you're doing the same thing. And, you know, you end up getting into a rhythm with each other, just that kind of collective um, experience. But really, you're you're all embodying. Uh, so I, I want to. Um, I couldn't agree more. I, I want to. I'm, I'm sensitive to your time, and I still have a couple of questions that I want to get to because I think that your professional experience sure. is important for this conversation. I, I'm, I wonder if you could just spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, the the first question: why why people seek you out? What you've noticed about what they're what questions they're asking you, and uh, what they're bringing to the table? Okay, sure. Um... People actually seek me out for various reasons. So many people, men and women, feel frustrated with their sex lives and they know they need to change something. But oftentimes they don't know what that something is. So it could be because they feel stuck, they feel bored, unfulfilled, and really just missing pleasure. And they don't really know how to get that pleasure back. So I just help them really find out what's going on in their lives and where they feel stuck. And we pretty much just um, talk about 
everything that's going on in their lives. It's not really just the sexual life. I want to know more about what their relationship is to themselves, to their spouse, or to if they have one. Um, another reason is a lot of people, you know, have so much shame, guilt, anxiety around their sexuality that oftentimes they just want someone they can speak to who can understand where they're coming from. And given my my travel experience to well over 60 countries and being born in Armenia, um, a place where there's plenty of shame, guilt, and anxiety around sexuality, I really understand people from on a cultural level and where that's coming from. So we get a chance to really go deep and, and have really um, detailed conversations of how we can reprogram their behavior and and really understand their bodies. Another reason is um, when, let's say, someone is experiencing like physical mal- malfunctions. So for men, men generally contact, contact me where they have premature ejaculation problems, erectile dysfunction problems. For women, it's usually experiencing vaginal dryness, unable to have an orgasm, or experiencing uh, sex, uh, pain during sex. Mm-hmm. So there's really many reasons why people seek me out. And oftentimes it really just has to do with knowing that they have to make a change or feeling stuck, but they're not really sure what the next step is. Well, I know this is probably a, a, a wide, <laughs> we can go into a wide discussion here, but what do you notice about things that people end up needing to change in order to gain or get the, the thing they seek? Um, a lot of times it's their, it's really their belief system. A lot of it stems from their belief system. And what I mean by that is, yes, we can all choose to be a programming of our parents, as we said earlier. Um, times it's, it's in a very religious context where I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. So they feel incredibly um, stuck in their bodies and very just rigid in their, in their views in general. And really that comes from beliefs. So I would say, number one, it's really just our belief system around sexuality that really needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And sexual education is a huge part of that and connecting to their bodies and everything else is a huge part of that. And I really understand like the cultural influences and the environmental influences that really shape our, our sexuality. So I, I bring in really like fresh ideas because I was able to overcome, I guess, so many things within myself and have helped so many others do the same. Um, I come, I also approach it from a very playful perspective because for me, it's really, it's really the game of life. I'm just learning how to play the game of life. So I make it into a game and it's playful and it's spontaneous where I include a lot of like dancing and connecting to your body because all of those things increase the dopamine levels in our brains, which, and the happy chemicals, right? So once you're happy about yourself, then you can really go out and do anything you want to do. Mm, And you're not going to be wrapped in the shame and the guilt and the anxiety and all the programming that you've received from a young age. Well, it sounds to me that... And it's really just... Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. It's okay. No, no, I'm done. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. It sounds there that one of the things that you're doing is, um, is bringing to the surface part of that belief system, whether it's conscious or not. And then beginning to mm-hmm. challenge it in a non-judgmental way, and you know, challenge them to replace some of those early belief structures with a more open and expansive and life-serving, life-giving theory of of their sexuality mm-hmm. and their body. I imagine that you've helped mm-hmm. a number of people that uh, get to the place where they want to be. Yes, 
I have. I've been able to, I've, I have been able to do that. And sometimes when I can't, uh, I can't help them. I also with other practitioners who I think would be better suited for whatever the person's uh, problem is. So then I just refer them to other people mm-hmm. if I'm unable to help them. What I also realized is like the unconscious behavior patterns that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, as a child, when we start masturbating, we, we do things, we do it very fast. So we're, so we don't get caught by our parents and we never think about that as we go into adulthood. And I think that's why a lot of times when men are, are, are into the speed of sex, it's really, it's really because when we were children, we had to do it very quickly. So we weren't, uh, so, we, so we wouldn't get caught by our parents. And another thing is once you're, uh, once you start watching porn, that also kind of, um, um, uh, What's the word? Um, it, in some ways, you're basically repeating the the same pattern because right. that's how it's done in porn. So you're constantly using that same pattern that you've created from childhood all the way to adulthood, and you're just unable to settle down and really just be in your body and mm-hmm. slow it down and feel your body, because sex becomes about speed and not about pleasure. So again, there, there, yeah, of course, there we are again in that, you know, because yeah. there's such <laughs> repression and shame around this universal process, um, we, we create unhealthy habits that are not in harmony with our nature. Yes. And what our body is asking for. Yeah. We, I mean, we can train our body to do anything, right? So why not just train it to have as much right. pleasure as possible <laughs> yeah, go go a different direction than the than the shame and the dark alley right um, exactly so i'm sensitive to your time and i i still um sure I, I i think that one of the one of the things that i'm i'm just i'm curious about is how you're how doing this how 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 running this website and how being a person that people come to and talk about these um, uh, very scary and private dimensions of their life, their sexual life, how your relationship has changed with uh, sex and sexuality. I'm not talking about your private experience in sex and sexuality, but how it's changed is the idea, um, how it's changed related to the idea of what is possible in sex and sexuality for others. Oh, um, well, they come, they come as frightened, but then I make them feel incredibly comfortable to where we laugh a lot. And laughing is key because we have to be able to make fun of everything <laughs> to be able to break, break some boundaries and whatever else we've created in our lives. Um, I, I really just see pleasure in general because we're, but the thing is that we are all so hardwired for pleasure. And that's exactly what we're seeking. So that's really what I help people realize. It's how hardwired we all are. And there's no reason why we should not be, why we should keep ourselves from receiving pleasure. Does that answer your question? It does. And, uh, and it, it sounds to me like at, at, at baseline of receiving pleasure is a connection with yourself first and foremost with with your body yeah um, and and then of course exactly. th- through that you're able to connect more with your partner when you're when you're present with yourself you can be present with others mm-hmm. absolutely so is there anything i'm and leaving also, out here 
no, I think we've covered a lot. But what I also <laughs> would like to say is that we we really should, in general, we really should stop thinking of sex as just a genital affair right. because sex is so much more than just penetration and friction. We really need to just start having sexual experiences or learn how to have those sexual experiences that nourish us and not the ones that hurt us or or hurt us or, or leave us feeling empty. And once we have this understanding, this broad understanding of what sexuality is, it doesn't always have to involve penetration. So instead of, you know, seeing sex as just this thing that we physically do, no, it's so much more expansive than that. I mean, you can go into a deep orgasmic ecstatic state by just touching someone in a certain way and just touching them for a, for several minutes or for a couple hours without ever having penetration. Um, and really just understanding that we're all hardwired for pleasure. So allow your body to just experience that pleasure. Well, the word that was going through my mind as I was listening to that is that you sure, you're sure to open, open people up to the possibilities. And in, in having these conversations and doing what you do, you are providing uh, maybe somebody the opportunity to come out of the, uh, of the, of the closed-off shame-based place and open up to these new possibilities and dimensions of something that you know we experience every day which is ourselves and our bodies yes yes and 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 i think and i think really creating healthy boundaries is key you really mm -hmm. have to get to know what you like um a lot of people know what they don't like but very few people know what they do like so just focus on learning about what you like well, thank you for our our conversation today. I'm I'm having this little image in my mind of of the likelihood, if you're willing, of us having another one of these conversations is probably pretty strong. I think there's so many things that are um, that that you know little 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 avenues that we touched on, but there's so much more to go into, and I I feel it's so important given mm -hmm. given what I do with people as a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. This this conversation and this content is so needed um, for, for people yes. to explore. So thanks for, for doing what you do, of course, and thank you for having this conversation with me today. I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So the, other, the last thing I want to ask is, or, or, uh, is um, let people know where they can get a hold of you. Ah, um, so there's my website, confidentlovers.com. If or they can email me, um, Christina at confidentlovers. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, and it's all confident lovers. So if you type that in, you'll pretty much have access to me everywhere. Okay, good. And I'll, I'll of course post that to this website, um, the Sacred Speaks, and you'll have uh, if you go either that you can get to the to her website through that. So thank you again, and I look forward to thank you. Uh, uh, to the next time. Yes, me too. Thank you, John. Okay. Forget that time and come with me Without help, they'll never see Time the dance is slow. 
cannot wait to get you home.